All right. Let's open up our Bibles to Acts chapter 20, please. Acts chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat back in front of you. Or you can raise your hand. Someone will hand them to you. Lord, we just come before you and your, your throne. And you sit holy, uh, perfect, high and lifted up. And yet you um, descended and you became a man and you lived among us perfectly and you were a great light. You are the great light. And you died in our place for us and you preached that all men should repent and turn from their sins and believe upon you and that you would give everlasting life. And that's why we're gathered in this room, because you are life. You're the light in a dark world. And you've given us your word. By that very word you spoke, and there was light, physical light. By that very word you spoke, and demons flee. By the very word you spoke, and sins are forgiven. And so we we come before your scriptures, Lord. We believe that you've spoken them through godly men and we ask Lord that you'd speak to us now by your spirit that our hearts would be pierced that we'd be changed in your presence that we would be set straight Lord and that we'd redeem the time and so Lord as we uh, get into the book of Acts Lord would you just bless your time do your work in our hearts Lord we love you And we look forward to showing you how we love you in our lives. Amen. Cool. Acts chapter 20. Um, Over the last several weeks, I've mentioned before, we've been going through Acts chapter 20. There's a whole lot of doctrine in there. Uh, But we've been focusing on the life and ministry of Paul the Apostle. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 1, I keep repeating this every every week, he says, what? He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. A very powerful saying that Paul said to the churches as he said, he said, you want to know what Jesus looks like? Look at me. And again, Paul was a living example of what a follower of Jesus Christ looked like. He was a living example of what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, a Christian. And one of the major things we see in the life in uh, in the life was Paul's in Paul's life was his ministry, and his life and his ministry they were the same thing. They were the same thing, and he lived in obedience to the call of God upon his life. That is how he lived, wherever he was, whether he was tent making or he was in a pulpit or in someone's house or whatever he was. He just lived. To glorify God, he lived to obey Jesus Christ, to fulfill the calling of God upon his life. And that's what we call ministry. That's what we call service. Same word. When you've been redeemed, when you've been born again, you got pulled into God's kingdom, and immediately you've been put into the ministry, into the service of God. We hear about the ministry of defense. What does that mean? In the service of defense. 
you know, the ministry of this or the ministry of that. In other words, we're serving God with our very lives. Our lives are to be ministry. And Paul's life gives us an outline of what it looks like to be a Christian. And so we've been looking at the model of the way Paul ministered, the way he lived out the will of God in his life. I love that. I need to see that. And I'm always a person who says, you, ta- you tell me something, I go, give me an example. I, I need to see it happening in order for me to understand it. That's just kind of the way I work. And so in Acts chapter 20, beginning in verses 18 through 27, it's, uh, verse 18 is not going to be up there probably, um, but just look in your Bibles up until we get to verse 22. But Paul, through 18 through 27, he gives us four ways in which Paul ministered, four ways in which God directed Paul to glorify God. And these four ways in which ministry is directed are our example of a life that glorifies God. Now, we've already studied three of the four, and so... Um, I just, I don't want to go into too much depth, but by way of review, the first three ways by which our life's ministry is to be directed, our life's service is to be directed, is first towards God, secondly to the church, and third to the world. We've gone over those. But Acts 20, verse 19 says, I serve the Lord with great humility. He's gathered the elders of Ephesus and Miletus. He's gathered them all together, and he's going to not see them anymore, so he wants to lay down the very last things to him. The last thing he wants to tell them is these four things, basically, and an exhortation to the elders, which we'll get to next week. But he says, I serve the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. And so the first way in which ministry is directed is towards God in service. Is towards God. We serve God. Say, I serve God. I live to serve God. That is what my life is about. Can you say that in your own life, in your own heart, in your own mind? I live to serve God. You go, well, that's easy, Matt. You're up there and you're a church guy. You're a pastor. You serve God. No. Whether I'm in the pulpit or I'm managing Uh, you know, a company, or whether I'm sweeping a floor or whatever, I serve the Lord. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord, not to man. We serve God first and foremost in our jobs, wherever we are, we live to glorify and reflect God. How many of you know that's difficult? And that's where it all begins. We serve God. If we're serving the Lord, and notice he says with great humility, the idea is, I know who I am, I know what I've done, and I know what the grace of God has done in my life. He saved me from so much. We serve with great humility. Amen? Thank the Lord for that. So is it too much for us, for God, when he sends us to go uh, serve by cleaning toilets? Oh, thank you, Lord. (laughs) I'm working on that, but yes, thank you, Lord, right? No matter where he sends us, what we do, we serve with great humility. And we're not telling other people, oh, you know, you just got to arrive because we realize what God has saved us from, but instead we're pointing them to the grace of God, amen? But that first way that Paul talked about in verse 20 is I serve with great humility, and it's with tears in the midst of, of trials, So our life's ministry is to serve God, to accomplish his will. Can you say that about your life this morning? I live as whatever God has called you to be, to serve God. 
Secondly, our life's ministry is directed towards the church. Our service, the reason why God saved us, is to serve. And the way he served is God, but also the church. The church. What is the church? We talked about it last week. It's not necessarily the building, but it is everybody who has believed upon Jesus Christ. Amen? And a result of that relationship we serve, whether it be in the building or at the Christian Aid Center or whatever it might be, we serve the body of Christ. God saved not only because of his love for us, but to display his glory through our lives by our love for one another. Isn't that awesome? He, has a, he not only saved you from your sin, he has a plan f- to display his glory through your life. And that's specifically expressed in the people around you in this room and those other people who are brothers and sisters in Christ. That's how God wants to display his glory, his grace, through your life to the people others. So whether it's, uh, whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord for one another. That love pours out towards one another. And so in light of being saved through faith in Jesus, we serve the Lord with great humility, even in the midst of tears and severe testing. But our life's ministry also is to be directed towards serving one another. And this is where he says in verse 20, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. Plug in your spiritual gift where Paul says preach. Plug in what God has called you to be and to do towards the body of Christ where he says preach. He says, you know that I have not hesitated to what? Serve, give, love, show mercy, have compassion, gift of helps, clean, whatever it might be. I've not hesitated. I've not drawn back from that. The thing that God has given me to do. But I've done it. I haven't, I haven't withheld anything that's been helpful for you. Our life's ministry, our life's service is directed towards the church, our brothers and sisters, in the form of edification. Edification means to build one another up. We're we're to build one another up. And that's what Paul is saying. I have not ceased to minister to you by building you up. And there's obviously a priority of the word of God in the church. You can't get around that. That's like the top priority. That's how we know what to do. By what he says, amen? Amen. But that's displayed in practical applications and different giftings. Building up the brothers and sisters. For this, Paul, he was preaching and teaching the word of God. Check it out. Ephesians 4 speaks of the importance of being built up in the faith. This is our ministry. I just want to briefly recap this because I think it's important. I'm seeing people starting to serve the church and one another, and it's awesome, and I want to continue to encourage you to do it and to grow in it and not hesitate, not to withdraw. Amen? He says, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. He equips me to equip you to do what? To serve. So that you can minister. Well, what does that look like? For the edifying of the body of Christ. So you can minister to one another. Until we all come to unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect or complete man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ until we start acting like Jesus, right? 
that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine. In other words, we're all unified on what he says, not what we think about what he says, but actually what he says. And not what Creflo Dollar or whoever else says, but what Jesus says. Amen? By the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by uh, what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share. In other words, we're all brought together, we're all growing up, we're all mature, we're all brought together to edify one another, all the parts of the body doing what they're supposed to do for the benefit of the body. Does that make sense? That's what maturity is. Retardation would be the opposite, where someone's deciding to not work, and the body doesn't work anymore. It's not functioning as it should. It's not bringing glory to the head, which is Jesus Christ. But it causes growth for the body for the edifying of itself in love. And so Paul taught the word so that the body would be edified. That's why we teach. So you'd be edified, to be built up, so your mind would be changed and renewed and focused about who you are now in Christ and what you're to be about and what your calling is and, and, and to direct all your affairs according to his kingdom. Amen? That's why Paul did that. Maturity is when everyone does their share, meaning everyone takes part in building up each other in love. So when we see a body that does not put the priority of the body in their lives, we see an immature body. Does that make sense? When we see kids in our own home who decide that they do not want to do what is best for the family, what is that called? Selfishness and immaturity, correct? What do we call it in the church? Selfishness and immaturity. <laughs> and we all have partaken of that. And we're all a part, we have to struggle with that. Amen. Amen. Yeah, so we're all on the same page, not pointing fingers here. But this means no one is sidelined. This means we all have a role to play. We all have spiritual gifts to be used towards our brothers and sisters. And if you really, um, if you look at, at, at 1 Corinthians chapter um, uh, 12 and 14, you see those really two awesome chapters. They're talking about tongues and prophecy and all this kind of stuff. What's chapter 13 in 1 Corinthians? The love chapter. Why did Paul stop in the middle of teaching about our spiritual gifts and, and sandwich right in the middle of all that stuff, love? Because that's the motive for what we do. Why do we serve one another? Because we love God. And Jesus says, if you love me, you're going to love one another as I have loved you. Amen? So, different gifts given by the same Spirit. We all have a role to play. And so Paul loved and edified the church. I'm kind of re-preaching my sermon here, but it's important. We do the same in that we love and edify the church through ministering to one another through our spiritual gifts motivated by love. We don't withhold anything that is good from one another. Amen? We don't withhold those things. Paul didn't say, I know I could teach you, but, you know, I'm just busy. There was a need, there was a priority about each other's lives that said, you know what, 
man, that's what I live for. I live to give away what God has given me. That's God's grace. Peter talks about that. So ministry is directed towards the church. I think I've said that. Thirdly, our ministry is directed towards the world in evangelism or witnessing, as we call it on our vision circle there. Sharing the gospel. Verse 21, Paul says, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So we discussed last week that ministry towards the world, the lost, those who do not know Jesus Christ as Savior, is displayed in evangelism, witnessing the gospel to them. That's exactly what it is. is, is, uh, That's what our role is to the world. It's that we declare that they must turn from sin and turn towards Jesus Christ in faith. That is what we declare. Now, how many of you are thinking right now in ways that you don't want to do that? Or, gosh, that's judgmental. Or, gosh, you just, you know, that's legalism. How many of you are kind of going through that? Conform your mind to what the Word says. This is what we declare. We declare that the world must turn from sin and turn to Jesus Christ in faith. The way we minister to the world is through the gospel. When we, when we proclaim the gospel to the world, we're proclaiming two things. And we just said, a call to repentance and a call to faith. A call to turn from sin and a call, a call to believe in Jesus. So through the gospel, the Holy Spirit does all the convicting, Right? He does it through the law quite often. In other words, the law is for the lawless. And so we need to know our Bibles. We need to know um, what the law is and what relation it has. And so the Ten Commandments, for example, speaking of the law, boy, when you go down that list of Ten Commandments, you go, do not lie. And what do you find out? I am a liar. I'm guilty in the Holy Spirit is the one who actually is working that in, saying, that is right. You fall short. You got to turn to me. You're stuck. You're broken. You're headed towards destruction. You're headed towards wrath. And boy, we like to take away the destruction and the wrath and just say, you know, you're just not going to make it, whatever that means. Eternal separation from God. That's how serious this is. That's how serious God was when he sent his son. So we preach you must turn. Right? You must, the word repent means to change your mind. And that's something the Holy Spirit does. We just, prevent the, we just present the evidence. We say, here it is. We witness, we testify of the truth that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Yes, but look, here's what he is. He is. This is what he says. And this is what you'll be held accountable to. This is where you're going. That's love. How many of you have kids when you're, they're going berserk, you sit there and say, well, you know, just be yourself. No, you get in there and you go, listen, you're headed for destruction. I've seen it. It's going this way. And you plead with them and you call to them and you do everything you can because you love them to say, turn. Do you see what's going on? Doesn't sound so bad that way, does it? That's what we do with the lost. What happened with us? We, had, we were called to turn. That's something the Holy Spirit did. He did it through his word. He did it through people. But we turned from it 
because the Holy Spirit empowers us to and gives us the, the desire to, he works and changes our mind. And we turn towards Christ. We don't just turn away from the world. We turn towards our Savior, amen? So it's a 180. That's what we're calling the world to do. And the reason why we're, we're, we're witnesses of that is because what? It's happened where? To me. You see how you can say, I was once lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I'm not above you. I was lost in all this mess, and the Holy Spirit convicted me of my sin, and boy, this is how it worked out in my life, and now I put my faith in Jesus Christ. And so there was a turning of our minds by the grace of God, amen? So that's what we preach. We preach that ministry towards the world is witnessing to that fact. We testify that it is true because we have turned and we have believed and we now have eternal life. That's our ministry to the world, the gospel. It's the good news that you can turn and it's the good news that Jesus is willing to forgive and will completely forgive and save you. Not only that, you have eternal life. That's awesome. I love that. It's the hope. And so his ministry is to God, our ministry is to God, it's to the church, and it's to the world. And lastly, in the fourth way in which Paul viewed his life's ministry was that of self-sacrifice, the ministry of, towards oneself, the inner ministry. And this is important because it ties back into the first one. <laughs> and so um, this is the mindset of a follower of Jesus Christ. One who lives to do the will of the Father and not oneself. One who lives to do the will of the Father and not oneself. So Paul saw his ministry in terms of sacrifice and self-will. How many of us have the mindset that I now live to deny self and what I want and to follow Jesus? Or is my life about all that I want? And I would say that our fruitfulness as a ministry, our effectiveness of a ministry, um, really as a church, individually, all those types of things, I think this has a lot to do with the power of God in our lives. If we are unwilling to deny self and follow Jesus, there's not much that God really can do in and through us. He wants to. It's not a matter of salvation. It's a matter of discipleship. So, this is huge. Paul saw his ministry in terms of sacrifice and and self-will. He only had one reason to live. And that was chiefly to minister, to do what God had called him to do. That's all. That's why he lived. That's why he got up in the morning. That's why he did whatever he did. Say, Lord, whatever you want today, do today. We can take that and say, Lord, I'm here to serve you in my family, in my job, people around me, whatever your will is, and we'll know his will because we're in his will. I'm, I'm here to do that. I live to do, and whatever sacrifices come, I follow Jesus. I want to live like Jesus. That's the heart of it. And, and so what does this inner ministry of sacrifice look like? Check out verse 22 to kind of begin to get a flavor. He unpacks it here, but he says, and now, after I've ministered to you, after 
I've, I've served God after I've ministered to the body. After I've proclaimed the gospel, he says, now I'm compelled, verse 22, by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. Paul says he was compelled by the Spirit. The word compelled is also translated bound. Chains is the word. In, in, in other translations, it's saying I'm bound in the Spirit. How many of you have bound in the Spirit in your Bible? Yeah. So you have, I'm bound in the spirit. And it's also translated, I'm compelled by the spirit. So which is it? What's he saying? So depending on your translation, you will see either compelled by the spirit or bound by the spirit. Uh, Now either he's saying that his own spirit was compelled to go to do God's will or that he was bound to God's spirit, which compelled him to do it. Which one? The translators are trying to figure that out. And so the point is that both work. The point is his spirit and the Holy Spirit had the same purpose. (laughs) They were chained together. He was doing what God wanted. In other words, I'm going here because that's where God's going. I'm going this way because guess what? That's where Jesus is going. That's where he's leading me. I can't go anywhere. I'm compelled. I'm bound. I love that. He was burdened to go and do the will of God. Whatever he had for him, even when he didn't know what would be the immediate result. How many of you are willing to do things for God even though you don't know what's going to happen? Now by the Spirit, I'm compelled. I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what's going to happen to me there. You know, quite often, I want to know the specific details before I commit to following God in any area of my life. Any of you, can you relate? I want to have all the numbers run. I want to have all the risks weighed. I want to know the possible rewards. They want them to all be measured. Anyone? Just me. I want to know... Okay, I'm the problem, yes. I want to know all the variables. And then, if it benefits me, then it's God's will. See that? Anybody? Boy, I'd love to do that, but that's going to take a time away from my kingdom. <laughs> I'd love to do this, but my and me and what I've got going on is kind of not going to work out there. You know? And we kind of make it to where if it, if it really benefits me, then it's God's will. And speaking from... Um, what I've seen happen in your lives, not my own. I'm joking. Come on now. <laughs> we can say that this is wisdom on one hand, you know, weighing all the facts. Uh, but on the other hand, we can, it can really be self-preservation. You know what I'm saying? The world says, hey, weigh all these things out and see. But on the other hand, is, is at the root of that, is that I just want my kingdom and I just want it my way. I struggle with that. So Paul had been collecting money from the Gentile churches. And you know that there was a big thing between Jews and Gentiles. And unity in Christ means those barriers are broken down. And Paul's ministering to this group of people. And these churches are, have been giving money because the church in Jerusalem is, is just poor as poor can be. They have nothing. 
And he's longing to get back and give this gift from these people to show the love and the unity in, in, in the Lord, to hand it to them and to lay it at the feet of the apostles in Jerusalem so that these people will be blessed by the church. You see the body giving so that the other part of the body that's globally would be blessed. So it's not just our little church. Yes, it is, but it's also globally. So Paul is just saying, I'm going to do this at the expense. I don't even know what's going to happen to me. I'm going to walk into this war zone, and I know the Spirit's telling me I'm going to get smacked, but I'm going to do it anyways. I don't know what's going to happen. All I know is it's going to be rough. It was more important uh, to Paul that those brothers and sisters in Jerusalem receive the gift of love from the Gentile church than it was for Paul to know the outcome of what might happen to him. How many of us have that mentality? It's more important for me, God, to love and to do this, and I don't even know what's going to happen to my time or my energy, all that type of stuff. i just compelled. That's where your spirit's leading. Paul didn't have all the details worked out. He only knew some general things. And as ministers, you are ministers. We must reckon within ourselves that we will follow Jesus even when we don't know where that will lead or what that looks like. That's faith. Taking God at his word, not relying upon circumstances as the primary decision maker for our life, but what he says. But what he says. Amen? So what's God told you to do? Go do it. Let him worry about the details. Paul was willing to sacrifice in that love for God and his people. It was more important, that self-preservation. He didn't have all the details. Paul said in verse 22, I, I, I go into Jerusalem not knowing what's going to happen to me there. Verse 23, I only know, this is all the information I have, that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship is facing me. How do you like that for a calling? I don't know anything. All I know is it's going to hurt. The only thing the Lord was telling him was that he's gonna be, it's going to be rough. In every city he went to, he would tell, would tell him through the prophets, as we're going to read about Agabus here, uh, you'd be persecuted. You're going for jail time. It's going to be hard. How would you like that? You go into, into a church, you say, pray for me. I want to go in the ministry. And everybody prays, and they just say, you know what? It's just, you're just going to get beat up, man. You're just going to get beat up. It's just a rough road. And then they start telling you, don't go, don't do it. Look ahead, chapter 21, flip in your Bibles. Verse 10. There's a prophet named Agabus who comes from Judea, right? He's in Paul's in Tyre. He, so he's on his way back to Jerusalem. He left these people he's talking to now. He's on his way to Tyre. He's going back over. He says, when he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So every time he goes into a church, there's a prophet who stands up and starts telling him, this is the way it's going, buddy. It says, now when he heard these things, when we heard these things, Luke and the other disciples and who were on the boat with him and all this other stuff, they, said, they both, the people were there, they pleaded with them not to go to Jerusalem. Don't go. We love you so much. We don't want you to experience hurt and pain and suffering. 
You don't know what's going to, you're going to be bound. It's going to hurt when you start to go that direction. Don't do it. How many of us would just, if we knew that was what's headed with someone we love, we would just do everything in our power to say, don't, don't go that direction. Amen? Not talking about sin. I'm talking about moving out in an area of ministry. Don't do that. It's going to hurt. These things are not going to, it's not going to be good for you. And then Paul answers in verse 10, uh, Verse 13 says, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? So there's an emotional aspect going on here. He says, man, breaking my heart, I hear you. For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I know you love me, but knock it off. I'm ready not only to be bound. You're worried about the, uh, the, I'm ready to die for Jesus. I live a life of sacrifice is what he's saying. And I love this about Paul. You see, ministry is self-sacrifice. Just because God is telling you it's going to be rough doesn't mean that God's not in it. How many of you know about your marriage? If you knew everything about your marriage before you got married, you wouldn't get married. Christine, no, the, yeah, this section be quiet. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Women be quiet in church first. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I mean, how many of us, you know? It's going to be rough. It's not going to be Hollywood. You just go, but I'm going. The Lord's leading. I know he's got me. Jesus was headed towards the cross. He laid down his life. He sacrificed himself so that others might live. Paul did the same thing. Ministry towards ourselves is sacrifice. We've got to have that mindset. And here we have well-meaning followers. Now listen to me. Listen to this. We have well-meaning followers of the Lord who loved Paul saying, don't go, it's going to hurt. And Paul says, I'm ready because my ministry is sacrifice. It reminds me of Peter. Remember? Peter, in Matthew 16, he tells the disciples that he must suffer many things at the hands of the elders and so forth, and he's going to rise again on the third day. And Peter says, he took Jesus aside. What did he say? He loved Jesus. He brotherly loved Jesus, we find out. And he said to him, he rebuked him. He said, these things will never happen to you. Don't, don't, you're talking madness, Lord. Don't, go and get hurt and die and all this stuff. No, no, no. We want kingdom. We want happiness right now. You're going to go into Jerusalem and storm. You're going to take the seat and we're all going to rule with you, right? There's no suffering involved here. And Jesus turns to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Wow. All these people are well-meaning, but to follow Jesus and to complete the ministry God gave you to complete for his glory, make no mistake, it's going to require sacrifice. And family members are going to say, no, don't do that. People are going to say, no, don't do that. You need to serve God. Amen? We've got to serve God. We've got to hear from the Lord. We've got to hear from him because ultimately he's the one who leads. 
And how did Jesus lead? He died. He gave up himself. This is what Jesus was always driving at. Self-denial. Ministry is sacrifice. Your life is sacrifice to the Lord. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must do whatever they want. Must deny themselves. Pick up their cross and follow me daily, all the time. The rich young ruler, what did he say? I want to be your disciple. He said, go give all the things that you worship, your money, go sell it, give it to the poor. I mean, just give it, and then you can be my disciple. To the person who had the family business, what did he say? I want to be your disciple, but first let me go bury my father. What did he say? Let the dead go bury the dead. You follow me. That's sacrifice. He's saying you've got to give it, you've got to lay it all down. So what do you value most? What's keeping you from serving the Lord, from fruitfulness in your life? I'll tell you what it is, it's self. That's my biggest enemy in ministry is me. It's not you, it's not the devil, it's not the world, it's me. My own stupid, selfish, self-centered heart that just wants to rule my own kingdom. Anyone else? Boy. That's why he has crazy things. He says, you know what? Unless you hate your brother, mother, sister, uncle, nephew, aunt, niece, you have no part in my kingdom. You're not going to be my disciple. What's he saying? To hate all those people? He's no, he's saying, I've got to rule over even your family. I've got to rule over your relationships. I, either I'm Lord or I'm not. And what we find is that when we actually start to follow Jesus, the blessings start to flow to all these other areas. Lay down and you'll have life. These are all good things. Family business. Having riches. It's not bad to have money. The love of it leads to a whole bunch of things. Right? It's not bad to love your family and spend time and all that type of stuff. That's not what we're getting at. People come on that legalism. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. That's not what God's saying. Am I number one? Is it all laid down on my feet? If I call you to go anywhere and do anything at any time, are you willing to go? Or do you count your life more important than my kingdom, than me? Man, This is Christianity. Do we preach this? It's narrow. It hurts. We die. There's chains. There's suffering. Now. But in the end, glory. Exponential. Where are our eyes? Wide path. Christians, telling you. I know it. I feel it. I live it been captured by it. But we must also lay down our lives. We too must have that inward ministry of sacrifice like Jesus. Very interesting story in closing here. John chapter 12 illustrates it. In verse 24, most assuredly I say to you, 
Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. If anyone ministers to me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. What's he saying? I lived a life that died and it brought glory. And that's where I go. That's where I lead my people. That's where my spirit leads. I lead my church into situations where they die that others might live. That's where I lead you. Every day, all the time, I'm dying to go across the street to preach the gospel to someone. I'm counting myself nothing and him everything. I am dying to go serve this person because I love the Lord and I love them more than I value my own life, my own time, my own ambitions, all of my ambitions, hopes and plans. What do we sing? I surrender these to your hands. But Jesus says, if you love me, you're going to lay down your life like me. Jesus was saying to serve me is to follow me to the cross every day. This is where my servants are. They follow me. Jesus is going to lead us to sacrifice. The ministry to Paul was one of self-denial. I don't know what the details are, but I've decided to follow Jesus, even to persecution. Amen? He emphasized the ministry of sacrifice. Verse 24, I consider my life worth nothing to me. Wow. What happened to Paul for him to be able to say that? Lord, I lay it down. Paul says, my life is worth nothing. None of these things move me in another translation. Afflictions and chains and persecutions and inconveniences and all these other things will not deter me from glorifying Jesus Christ, from following him. If Paul valued his life in the sense that he loved his own life more than he loved God, he would be deterred. He would be moved. He would not let the grain of wheat fall into the ground and die, but that is not the case. Rather, Paul says in verse 24, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race that I have and, and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying the good news of God's grace. And so Paul's ministry was one of self-sacrifice to the glory of God. And because that was his goal, his aim was to complete the task that the Lord Jesus gave him, the task of evangelizing the world. That's what Paul had called, was called to. That was his life. That was his ministry. What's yours? What's your ministry? What has God called you to do? At the end, what is your aim? You consider your life worth nothing. My only aim is to do the will of the Father. Do you know the will of the Father? That's why we teach the word. Do you know? I want you to know it. I want you to know, to know the know. So you get at the end of your life and you go, I have completed all that the Lord has called me to do. You can have that. That was his life. That was his ministry. 
Is your life's purpose, is my life's purpose wrapped up in God's plan? That's where you're going to find life, brothers and sisters. Not in your ambitions, in his word, in what he says for you by his spirit. You will find life there. You'll find who he's called you and made you to be. You know, I think we don't even give God a chance to shine through us sometimes. Somehow being a Christian has become void of the cross. It's about going to church, or it's about singing the songs, it's about certain things. I, mean, I get caught up in the Christian culture. Anyone else? We follow Jesus unless it infringes upon my will, my time, my schedule, my pocketbook, my image, my relationships, my health. I'm just writing things I struggle with. My safety, my job, my marriage, my kids. Lord forbid, don't make me share my faith, talk about Jesus, or serve in the children's ministry. Whatever. Outside of these parameters, Lord, I'm yours. Right? Man, we should be convicted. Lord, whatever. You've saved me from such a great a hell. I'm yours. Wherever I follow Jesus, the way you lived is how I live. Lord, do that work in me. I'm not there. I'm self-centered. I mean, this is what I'm praying with the Lord. Lord, I'm self-centered. I've got my own things and blah, blah, blah. Oh, just Lord, put my eyes upon Jesus. Show me how to die today. Show me how to follow you. Forgive me of that stuff. And let's, show me today. I know it's sarcastic in, in when I was saying those things, but it's, there's truth in it. So church, the way that we came to Christ is the way we continue in Christ in view of the cross. And the cross says, I seek first the kingdom of God. The cross says, I follow Jesus by his example. Jesus is Lord or he is not. Either he rules or you do. Amen? Jesus has abundant life for you here and now, this morning. Praise the Lord. And that is experienced when you lose your life for his. And that's what brings life to the community and that's what brings life to your families, and that's what brings life to others is when we say, not by will, but your will be done. I don't know what's going, where we're going, or all these types of things, but whatever you got ahead of me, even if it's hard, here I am. Use me. Praise the Lord. We'll pick up the rest later. Father, we, uh, we lift up our hard, rotten hearts sometimes before you when we struggle uh, with the kingdom of self. And so, Lord, we come to the cross once again. And we ask that we would be crucified with Christ in our minds and that we would no longer live, but Christ would live in us. And the life we live in this body, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. That we would be free, experience true liberty as we lose our lives and fully identify with you. Holy Spirit, I pray that um, you would convict this morning in our hearts where we have not followed. And so um, I also pray that you'd encourage. I pray that you'd encourage us so much that, that, that that's, that's the old life, that the new life is a life of, of sacrifice. And in sacrifice, we actually experience light and life. So infuse our body here with light and life 
in the love of God. More and more. Bless your children today. Bless us, Lord, that we may shine your heart. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.